What a day we've had. What a day of celebration. Started early, but uh, praise the Lord. We had a great uh, sunrise service. And uh, as Pastor Kevin said over there, we'll just believe the sun rose by faith. Uh, it, it did come up behind the clouds, I'm sure. But uh, welcome, all of you here today for this great day of celebration. It really is. We are in a series and have been in a series on the, uh, the I am statements that Jesus made in the gospel according to John. And I bet I didn't have that on, did I? You was looking for it, wasn't you? Yeah, you was back there. <laughs> and so it just so happens I scheduled this one for Easter. And it's the proclamation that Jesus makes where he tells Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. So during this series, we have seen uh, uh, every one of these I am statements as a declaration of the deity of Christ. And today we're going to tie that in with the resurrection of our Lord by looking at the resurrection of Lazarus. Now, I want us to understand as we go through this, Jesus is more than just someone who was raised from the dead. He is the resurrection. In him is the resurrection. In him is life. The life-giving power of the resurrection dwells bodily in the Son of God. And if you are saved, you have experienced resurrection power because it is the only power that can save you. I had a little experience with resurrection power yesterday. I decided I wanted to go cut some brush, take down a few trees. I've been wanting to do that for quite a while. So I drug out the reliable old steel chainsaw, and I pulled once, and the handle came off in my hand. Now, I know there is none of you that that's ever happened to. But I didn't have time to mess with that, so I went and drug out old reliable. It's a 400-pound chainsaw that I bought when I was in North Florida, and the loggers use them down there. And this thing literally weighs 100 pounds. Well, I pulled on that rascal for about 10 minutes, and I was reminded that I was saved and I could no longer call it the names that I wanted to call it. <laughs> and Colton's standing there cheering me on. He said, Old Green, he calls it Old Green. He said, Old Green will start, Old Green will start. By God, the next time I pulled on it, she sputtered. You know what an encouraging sound that is, don't you? Just to get, just to get a little fire, a little fire. Well, this morning, I hope you leave here with a little bit of fire, okay? Maybe even th full throttle, because when that baby started, I showed it no mercy. <laughs> and we finished the task at hand. And then I got to tell you what, I got to finish my story. So I was cutting along, and I put it up like this, and all of a sudden, gas come running out the... So if anybody wants two reasonably good chainsaws... I realize I'm not supposed to turn this into a marketing experience, but they are cheap. <laughs> but by the grace of God, we're saved, right? By the grace of God, we're saved. Today we celebrate, tomorrow we celebrate, next Sunday we're going to celebrate, right? Because he's alive, he's alive today, he'll be alive tomorrow. One author says, if Christ is risen, nothing else matters. And if Christ is not risen, nothing else matters. 
D.L. Moody said, someday you'll read in the papers that D.L. Moody is dead. Don't you believe it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the Spirit in 1856. That which was born of the flesh may die, but that which is born of the Spirit will live forever. Brothers and sisters, we're going to take a look at how Jesus demonstrates his power as the resurrection and the life. Stand, if you would, please, in honor of God's word. We'll be reading from John chapter 11. And we're going to begin our text in verse 17. And I'll provide a little background as we move forward. John chapter 11, verse 17. Now, when Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was buried, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Father, I pray that uh, you're honored by the reading of your word, that this word will be a blessing to us, that the truths of this word will be inscribed upon our hearts. And Father, we're not here to just gain more information or, or lay hold of just a little bit of insight. We're here to be transformed by the power of your word. We gather today to, to, with high expectation that as we meet in the presence of the living God, we will be changed. According to your good, pleasing, and perfect will, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So a little bit of background on our text. Mary and Martha, the sisters of this Lazarus, has sent for Jesus. They have a crisis. They need help. Lazarus, their brother, is very ill. John 11 and verse 3 says, So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Please don't miss the promise that Jesus gives in this passage. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. You see, nothing can happen to us that God cannot use for his glory. But wait, Jesus delays. He stays two more days where he was. Then in verse 11, we read, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll recover. 
Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So there appears to be a real problem here. A real problem with understanding just how serious this situation is. Is he confused? And we just heard Jesus say he wouldn't die. Whoops, he's dead. Brothers and sisters, friends, Jesus has never made an error in his judgment. And he will always be on time, on task, on mission. And whatever he does, he will always do it for the glory of God. God has never panicked. God has never been late. J.J. Lynch writes in his uh, uh, article on Say Not My Soul, His wisdom is sublime, his heart profoundly kind. God is never before his time and never is behind. Let's examine our text. The first thing I want us to look at is the grave that held Lazarus. The grave that held him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. I want to be cautiously kind to this matter and respectful. The grave is a somber subject. And unfortunately, it strikes fear in the hearts of many. But please know this today, my friends, the grave has no power over the believer. Jesus has conquered both death and the grave, and we can have that same victory in him. We go to these burial places, these, these cemeteries, these memorial gardens. We have all kinds of nomenclature for them. And it's a wonderful time to reflect it's a wonderful time to remember. It's, it's wonderful uh, to just spend a moment there and, and remember a loved one, a life lived. But I want to remind you, in the life of the believer, we are not present in that hole in the ground. All respect, please. I know that uh, uh, during a previous sermon in a series, I had talked a little bit about the grave, and I had mentioned I never want an RIP over my tombstone because I don't want that to be my place where I rest in peace. I am resting in a far greater place when I go. And what is that place in the cemetery called, Frank? Do you remember what that place is called? It's a launching pad, not a resting place. Right? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a staging area. Because someday you see this body that has been resurrected from the dead, that death that comes through sin, that death that, that we inherit from Adam, that death that we're all in the process of dying, we can be delivered from that right now through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And so when the believer dies, we are placed, the body, that which remains, is placed in this, 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 this hole in the ground, I'm sorry, this grave. We're entombed there. But listen... I was very upset the day I went and bought my grave plot. I told him, I don't want a title. I just want to rent it. Because I'm not a permanent resident here. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm just passing through this place. Someday that old body is even going to be resurrected in a new glorified state. will be reunited with my spirit, which is already with the Lord in glory. And I will have a glorified body. And I still won't have any hair. Amen. 
But if we look at the arrival of Christ, we could be reminded, even thinking back, of when the ladies first arrived at the tomb of Christ, assuming that all was lost. There had been witnesses to Joseph of Arimathea placing the body of Christ in a tomb, a borrowed tomb, by the way, right? An enormous stone was rolled over its entrance, and a seal was put on the tomb. Yet it couldn't hold him. It could not hold him. I want to encourage those who have suffered the loss of loved ones, do not hold too tightly to the grave because the grave has no grip on the believer. Through years of ministry, I've witnessed too many grieving people, and I mean this from the very depth of my heart, who cannot get past the grave. Christ is our hope beyond the cemetery, brothers and sisters. But as we look at this tomb that surrounded, that, in, that encased a Lazarus, we do see a, a, an element of hopelessness. If you don't know Christ, there is no hope in that place. But let's look at the grief that surrounded Lazarus. A normal part of humanity, when we lose, when we suffer great loss, suffering and death, there is grief. It is part of the innate nature that we have in us, that God has placed in us, that we will grieve our loved ones. Bethany was near Jerusalem, the scripture said, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them during, uh, concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Think about those words just for a moment. Number one, think of the confidence that's in those words. Let's be, let's be uh, not too quick to criticize because she expresses a great deal of faith in that statement, doesn't she? If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. That's faith. That's faith. But there was grieving. Martha was grieving. There was people all around them grieving. People in the house with Mary were grieving. And listen to these words again, these words of despair. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Where you been, Jesus? What took so long? I sent this news to you in plenty of time, and you didn't make it. You didn't make it. Lord, where were you when I needed you? Have you been there? Have you been there? You got guts enough to admit you've been there? Yeah. Yeah. Because you see, God's divine ordained schedule doesn't always match ours. And we have to trust him. We have to trust him. Mary goes out to see Jesus. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. You understand, we get just a couple of glimpses of Mary, the sister of Martha in Scripture, and two of those cases, she's at the feet of Jesus. What a way to live, huh? And she was saying to him, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. There it is again. There it is again. Lord, if only 
Lord, I know that you could have presented, prevented this. Why, Lord, why? Have you been there? Have you been there? Have you been at the feet of Jesus with your pain, with your sorrow, with your grief, and with your questions and with your doubts and with your fears? Brothers and sisters, we don't want to try to ignore these human emotions. We need to recognize them and surrender them to Christ. But sometimes we get this, this Christian facade that says, well, I am a Christian, so I can't have those feelings. Can you say horse hockey from the pulpit? I just did. We don't want to dismiss them. We want to recognize them. Are sometimes a result of human weakness? Absolutely. But God has never asked for our strength, brothers and sisters. He never once said, give me everything that's good about you because there is none. Give me all your strength because you have none. He says, give me your weaknesses. Give me your sin. Give me your brokenness. Give me your trials. Give me your temptations. Give me, give me all the junk in your life. What a God. When you go out to buy a gift for someone, do you go pick out junk? Say, well, I love this person, so I'm going to give them junk. We look for the best, don't we? We look for the finest. God said, I want the worst. I want the, I want the worst that you have because my son is going to take care of it. He's going to take care of it. All the sin, all the junk, all the sorrow, all the grief, all the pain, all the sorrow, all the doubts, all the questions. My son's going to die for that. He's going to die for that. Lord, if only, Lord, if only. Hold on. Help has arrived. Third point of our consideration. After the grave, after the grief, is the gift. The gift the Son of God gives to Lazarus. Verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, I want to pause this for a moment because there's an interesting term in the original language here. It's a double negative. And Jesus literally says, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never, never die. Never, never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Hello, hope. There's hope. You see, this is a critical point, a, a juncture in our text. If we understand this, we have the hope of eternal life. The gift is not just the resurrection from the dead. The gift is Jesus. He is the gift. In him, we find the resurrection and the life. Eternal life is not a gift from God. Eternal life is the gift of God. Do we see it? 
You cannot have the hope of the resurrection without having Christ in your life. The Jews believed in a, in a future resurrection. Martha says that, and Martha was correct, theologically correct. She believed in a future resurrection. But Jesus took that future resurrection, and he says, not only will it happen then, it's standing right here. It's standing right here. He took the doctrine of the resurrection and transformed it into a person. Listen, my friends, this text is rich in doctrine, essential to our Christian faith. Here Jesus reveals his glory with these words, with the truth. He says, in essence, you believe that there is a great and glorious day of resurrection coming at the end of the age when all believers will be raised bodily from the grave. You are right. And here's the mystery. I am the arrival of that day. I'm here. You thought that day would come with the Messiah. Guess what? I am he. Remember the history, the, the, the story, the journey that we have traveled with the I am statements of Scripture. Jesus is proclaiming himself to be the eternally existing deity, God himself, when he says, I am. I am the eternally existing one. I am the one who spoke to Moses from the bush. I am before Abraham, before anything was, I am. Before there were stars, before there was moon, before there was sun, before there was earth, I am. I was there, and I called it into existence, and because it's still there means that I am too because he not only created all things through him for him for his pleasure but by his very existence he sustains all things listen to these words of scripture John 11 verses 33 and following when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping he was deeply moved in the spirit and greatly troubled and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? You see this paradox of faith? He's powerful enough. I know he can do it, yet he didn't. Sympathy, compassion, personal loss i want to encourage you friends to know that we have a savior who cares a savior who is compassionate a savior who understands our sorrows a savior who understands our temptations and that's why he is qualified to sit at the right hand of god and intercede on our behalf as a great high priest but verse 35 captures the heart of our lord jesus wept jesus wept but I want to comment very briefly. I believe that Jesus wept over the results of sin that put Lazarus in the tomb also. Does that make sense? Yes, he was weeping because there was sorrow. There was grief all around the circumstance of Lazarus' death. But I believe there was a, a part of Jesus that said, now I'm going to go take care of the problem that put him there in the first place. It was sin that brought death. Sin came through one man and therefore came to all men. I'm going to go take care of that. Do you, do you see this in Christ's heart? Therefore, just as sin, Romans 5, came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even, <clears throat> excuse me, Adam 
uh, to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more had the grace of God and the free gift of the grace that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. In other words, we are born in sin. Adam's sin took humanity with him, took the entire human race with him. So all of this existed through the, the law and the sacrificial system. Everything was leading up to the Christ who would someday pay the final price, the final atonement, the final redemption, and man would be and God would be satisfied. Do you know what the resurrection is? It's God saying, paid in full. Paid in full. But I believe at this moment when Jesus stood before that tomb, he was not only looking at the grief around him, he was not only looking at the decay that existed within the tomb, he was looking at the cross where he was about to pay the sin debt. So Jesus responded with three things, and I cover them quickly. He gave a profound truth, a profound truth. He said to her, I am the resurrection, and the life. We see in the text personal emotions. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and greatly troubled. They, Lord, they said, Lord, come and see. Come and see. And Jesus wept. So we have this profound truth and we have these personal emotions, but we're just about ready to end it up with powerful action. Not only is it time merely for this profound truth in response to Martha or strong emotion in response to Mary and the crowd, it is time for powerful action. Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone." Take away the stone. And one last time, Martha resists. She resists. She said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And now Jesus is going to make this connection between what he's doing and what he said back in verse 4. I told you to remember that promise. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified. So Jesus said to Martha, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? Martha, it's time to put faith into action. And then Jesus, in the middle of a cemetery, in the middle of what appears to be nothing but death and decay, says to a dead man, Come out. Come out. Lazarus, come out. Verse 44, guess what happened? Guess, what do you think happened? The man who had died came out. How about that? How about that? 
his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Remember what Jesus left in the tomb when he was raised from the dead? What was left behind? Grave clothes. The wrap, the face cloth. Brothers and sisters, when we're raised from the dead in the living this is our first resurrection. We've got to be raised from the dead while we're still living. If we're not raised from the dead while we're still living, we're not going to be raised from the dead when we die. Amen? Everybody get that? Don't make me repeat it. The first resurrection is when Jesus calls us out of the grave of sin and decay, and he says, come out. Gary Spillman, come out. Did you say, no, nah, I don't think so? Here I am. And the very next thing that happened to you, Gary, is you got new clothes. Number one, the old grave clothes had to come off because they stink. They smell like death. They smell like decay, right? So the grave clothes have to come off. And then guess what? Christ has a robe that he puts on us. It's his robe of righteousness. What a deal. We get rid of the rot, the decay, the stench of sin and death, and we get to put on the righteousness of Christ. Hello, new life. This is for the glory of Jesus. Jesus raised Lazarus uh, because he is the resurrection. He is the re arrival in history of God's final and glorious renovation of all things, including these old bodies. Believers, you will be raised from the dead and shine like the sun in the kingdom of our God. Lazarus is a preview of that resurrection. Jesus is coming back to this earth in power and great glory. And this event in this story is the sermon. In this sermon is the window that we can look through and see that glory coming. Warren Wiersbe says, Perhaps the greatest transformation Jesus performed was to move the doctrine of the resurrection out of the future and into the present. Martha was looking to the future, knowing that Lazarus would rise again and she would see him. Her friends were looking to the past, saying, He could have prevented Lazarus from dying. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And Jesus brought their attention to the present and said, I am the resurrection and the life. I want to read this passage of Scripture in closing. Listen carefully. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preach to you. This is Paul's letter in 1 Corinthians. Which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that I, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Hear the gospel, my friends. Hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. 
You know, I, I want to quickly, quickly. Uh, see, whenever the preacher said now in closing, that buys you 15 minutes. What if we were to go to court right now and call all the witnesses that, that seen Jesus alive? We know in one chunk there was 500. Give each of them a two-minute testimony. That's a 1,000 minutes of testimony. Then add the apostles. Then add the 12. Then add the others. We'd be there for three days just listening to testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is it true? Is it true? Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some say, how come some say of you, oh, come on, Alvin. But if there is no, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Remember that little statement we started with very early on in this message? The resurrection of Christ is real. Nothing else matters. If it's not real, nothing else matters. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about that God raised Christ, whom he did if he did not raise. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Oh, my goodness. Then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That, that's a false belief and annihilism that you just disappear into nothingness. No, no. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, and by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall live. This morning, this morning, one simple question, are you dead or alive? It's a simple question with eternal consequence. Are you dead or alive? You see, again, you must first experience the resurrection from the dead in this life. It's called our spiritual resurrection. And if that resurrection has occurred, then you're simply waiting on the next to life eternal. But if you haven't made that decision yet in this life, your next resurrection is not anything you are looking forward to because it simply continues eternal death. You see, there's going to be a final resurrection. The key is to have the first right now. Right now. Now, I, I probably wouldn't recommend you look over at your neighbor and say, you stink, are you saved? But that's what sin does to us, guys. That's what sin does to us. And Christ came with the shedding of his blood that would wash all of that away. All of the stench, all of the rot, all of the decay, all of the hopelessness was washed away by his blood. And then, three days later, he walked out of the tomb to proclaim to all who put their faith in him, this is what your life will look like. 
this is what your life will look like. And because I'm here, alive, so also will you live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had. For the message of your word, Father, I pray that I have divided it correctly. Even in my haste, Father, forgive me. Father, your word is true. Your word is powerful. And it's still saving people today. Maybe there's one here this morning that has never really experienced a true Easter celebration because they don't know the power of the resurrection. And there may be others who just simply want to recommit their life to this living Savior. There may be some that are dragging around some grave clothes, Father. It happens. It happens. We drag around some of the old life. And Jesus, I know you'd like to take that away this morning. So we ask for your good, pleasing, and perfect will. And we acknowledge it will be for your glory and your glory alone. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we have our song of invitation. morning uh, we'll be available some of the elders myself will be available to pray with you at the altar uh, if there's anything that you need please uh, we're not here I always want to say this and I truly mean it we're not here to meet all of your needs folks we're here to help you connect with the one who can so let God take care of your burden this morning